This morning we have the privilege of hearing from Pastor Roger Johansson. You guys can go ahead and be seated as well. Uh, Pastor Roger is here with his family because one of his sons was just getting married, uh, but they've been in Brazil since 1994, as we learned this morning. 1994, they've been involved in planting multiple churches there. Uh, They've seen people come to saving faith in Christ as they've shared the gospel, that Christ died for sinners like us, that he rose again, and that all who believe in him, as we just sang, we find salvation, we find healing in his sacrifice. And that message has power. It has the power to change lives, has the power to change families. And wherever that message takes root, you see new disciples, new churches. And Pastor Roger, his wife Crystal, and his family, they've dedicated their life to spreading that message. So they're back here in the States for a brief time, and he has been willing to come and spend some time with us. So we had a great time in in Sunday school this morning, and he's going to come preach to us now from God's Word. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Bom dia. Boy, that was really weak, man. You guys haven't woken up yet, huh? Bon dia. That's really good. That's uh, how you say good morning in Portuguese. That's how we do it. We wouldn't do that at our church in Brazil because our church in Brazil meets on Sunday nights. It's a little cooler. So we would say boa noite. But we're not at boa noite yet, are we? So we can't say that. It's a joy to be with you guys. It's a thrill and uh, it's a joy to be in the States for my second son's wedding and he got married in Pennsylvania and uh, happily married and married uh, best friend's daughter so my best friend from Bible college his daughter married my son so that was really a thrill it was a joy and now we're ready to get back to Brazil and get back to uh, getting the seed out of the out of the bag and and get the word of God out and see what God will do in Brazil so thank you so much for your prayers and your cares for us turn your Bibles to Luke uh, we are in Brazil studying the life of Jesus. Uh, it's Jesus that's the greatest relationship you could ever have on earth. It's greater than your husband, and it's greater than your wife. It's greater than your kids. It's even greater than your grandkids, because I have a grandchild, and she's not better than Jesus. She's really special, but not that special. You know what? Nobody beats Jesus. Amen? And, uh, and so we study the life of Jesus down in Brazil. We want our people to learn about Jesus, and we want them to be like Jesus, and we want them to grow by the power of Jesus. And so we are in the book of Luke, and Luke chapter 11. When I was at Calvary Bible College, I had to one time call uh, people to see if they would supply funds to help the college keep functioning. I happened to call an elderly lady. She was in her 90s, and... Um, early 90s in Arizona and she asked me my name and I told her my name was Roger Johansson and I told her what church I went to Countryside Baptist Church and and I told her what I was going to be a missionary to Brazil and she said kindly to me she said well young man I'm going to pray for you because I have a prayer ministry there's not much I can do now because of my knees but I can pray and I thought that was really special and neat and then I went to Brazil and I, 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 I spent three years in Brazil and uh, came back, it was on furlough, it was in the office at Countryside, and Pastor Mike had received a phone call, and after the phone call, he came to me and he said, hey, I want to let you know, there is a 90-year-old, 90-inner-90s-year-old lady who's praying for you in Arizona, and she wanted to know how your first son Joshua was doing, because she's been faithfully praying for you every day. When he heard that, Pastor Mike wisely asked her if, he could, if she could include his name in the prayer list. And uh, 
and I believe she did. I don't think she's around praying for us anymore. She would have to be about 124, and, uh, but what a blessing, isn't it? And so this is our topic this morning, is prayer. I, I put it this way, uh, according to Luke uh, 11, 1 through 13, I put it this way, if, I, if we can remember the theme this morning as this, people who follow Jesus pray, okay? People who follow Jesus, if you're an authentic follower of Jesus, you must pray. You have to pray. It's told, we are told to pray. And if we are a genuine follower, we will do that. It's interesting. Uh, prayer services are kind of going away in America because they're being, we're praying in different places, like in the homes and, and different other ministries. But I was talking to some friends um, that minister in South Korea, and they said if you set up a prayer time for your church at 5 in the morning in South Korea, it'll be full. The church will be packed dedicated to prayer and so my question to you and it's a a simple thing isn't it and and remember i'm dealing with brand new believers in brazil so i'm dealing with real simple things and we're dealing with a simple thing called prayer but the question is do you pray and how is your prayer life is it to where it ought to be or could it be better in luke chapter 11 1 through 13 we learn people who follow jesus pray and the first thing we learn is that jesus gives instructions on prayer look at that in luke 11 verse 1 one day jesus was praying in a certain place and when he'd finished one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray listen the narratives of john matthew mark luke and john the only time you ever see the disciples asking jesus to teach them something it was to teach to pray interesting isn't it he didn't say teach us how to make money teach us how to play basketball teach us how to fish no they said Teach us to what? To pray. To pray. So, um, in verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say. So what we see here is that Jesus is giving instruction on prayer. And the first thing I notice about that, the instruction aspect of prayer, is that prayer is teachable. Prayer is teachable. Let me ask you a question. Where did you learn to pray? Where did you learn to pray? Why do you pray the way you do? Why, why, why do you use the words that you use? Why do you close your hands and close your eyes? Why do you open your eyes and look to the heavens? I mean, why do you do the way, the way you do in prayer? You were taught that somewhere. Were you taught properly? Hmm. The disciples wanted to learn how to pray. I don't know why. Maybe they saw the intimate relationship that Jesus had with the Father, and they wanted that type of relationship. Maybe they realized that without prayer, certain miracles could not happen, like in Mark 9, 29, when Jesus said that can only come out by prayer. Maybe they sensed the important priority prayer had on life. I don't know what their motive was, but I do know this. They wanted to be taught to pray. Let me ask you a question. Do your kids... Have your kids ever come to you and say, Dad, teach me how to pray like you do? There is such a big impact in your prayer life, in your life, and such a priority. It's it's so important to you that your children come up and say, teach me to do that too, Dad. If you're like most people, you probably had no one ask you to do that. And the question is, why? 
Is prayer a priority? I believe it is for us, and I believe we, we all pray, and I, we all believe that we want to pray more. It just is fascinating to me that the disciples could look at Jesus' life, and they said, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So prayer is teachable, and, and we see that if prayer is teachable, then it can be learned. It's in other words, that it must be a process, the process of learning, right? Just like Paul said, when he was a child, he talked like a child, but when he became a man, he put away childish talk. And obviously there he was talking about the gifts and talking about love. But here uh, we see that, in, that we can apply that here, that there is child-type prayers and maybe more adolescent and more mature prayers. Um, there's people who pray. Have you ever seen new born-again believers pray? Isn't that fun? I had a doctor down in Brazil, his name was Cesar Jorge, and he'd pray, and, and it was a prayer service, and, and he's sitting there in the midst of a, around a group of guys, and, and he says, it's his turn to pray, and he goes, Lord, this is Cesar Jorge, and on my right is uh, Pastor Roger, good friend of mine, and on my left, uh, I didn't get your name, what was your name again? Oh, John, okay, it's John, he's with me here too. And you're sitting there, and you've got your eyes closed. You kind of open one eye, like, man, that is different. But it's really cool because he was all sincere, just praying in the words that he knew. Let me ask you this. Which prayer does God listen to? Does he only listen to the mature person's prayer or to the newborn-again person's prayer? Which one is more greater? Which has greater effect? But James chapter 5, verse 16 says, The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we see that you have to be a righteous man in your prayer to avail much in your prayer life. And I believe that when you're born again, you will receive the righteousness of Christ, and so therefore you are a righteous person. A righteous prayer can be done by a newborn, again, believer and a mature believer. God hears them both, doesn't he? So we see that Prayer is teachable, it can be learned, and we ought to want to grow in our prayer life, and we can. We can grow in that. Jesus gives instruction on prayer, and prayer is teachable, but also prayer is topical, because he starts there in verse 2, and he says it like this, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us this each, every day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And so I see some topics here. I see that prayer is topical. Let me just say something real quick what prayer is not. Because as I deal with Brazilians and dealing with new believers, there's some confusion sometimes what prayer is and what prayer is not. And right away, prayer is not incomprehensive. Pay attention to this. Prayer is not incomprehensive. There are a group of people that believe that prayer is... Is that prayer? They seem to think it is, and they seem to think that that is communicating to God. God is, uh, you know, not wanting any incomprehensive prayer. Okay? Matthew 6 teaches us that we're not to be ritualistic in our prayer. We're not to be repetitious. And we should be careful with our words and what we say. Um, in, in the Catholic culture, Brazil is one of the largest Catholic countries in the world. And they have the, the rosary beads, don't they? And each one, they have a saying. I don't know if you're a Catholic or if you've known Catholics, but there's a saying. And each one, they go through their sayings. You can just see them just repeating it. 
Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace. Each bead has its little saying. And it's just a little ritualism. Well, Matthew 6 is teaching that in the Lord's Prayer as well as it parallel with Luke. And it, it talks about not being repetitious. Well, before we get too judgmental, do we get repetitious in our prayers? Do you always address God as our Heavenly Father? Why don't you ever say, Eternal Lord? Do you always end your prayer in Jesus' name? Or do you just go, Amen? I mean, why do you do what you do? Why do you repeat the way you repeat? There's certain people I already know. I knew a guy that he would go into the King James when he prayed. Thou Lord knowest my... I was like, wow, what is that make his prayer? And so we have to be careful that we aren't getting into a repetitious, ritualistic prayer life, you know. Okay, we're going to all close our eyes here right now at the table, and we're going to pray, and we're going to thank the Lord once again for the food. Okay, Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. Let's eat. I'm starved. You know. And so we need to be careful, don't we? How are you praying? So prayer is topical. It's not incomprehensive. It's not ritualistic. You know, it's interesting, the Bible talks about prayer over 300 times. Over 60 times it gives the content of prayer, like the prayer of Moses, David, Samson, Hannah, Hezekiah, Daniel, Jonah, Solomon, Jesus, the church, and Paul. None of these prayers are the same, and they don't carry a sense of ritualism, but a sense of sincerity. I had a Brazilian say, well, we need to pray the Lord's Prayer because that's what he told us to pray. I said, well, no. He says not to be ritualistic. And if you go through all these other prayers of all these great men of God, you'll see that none of them are the same. But they all are sincere. And they all may have topics that are similar. Let's talk about those topics because Jesus gave them to us. He said, Father, hallowed be your name. When we're praying topically, we should pray in adoration. Prayer should be adoration. What does that mean? Prayer is directed to God. It is communicating to God. But it is not just any God. It is a God that has a holy name. He is a unique kadosh. He is a unique God. One time, a little boy was praying with his father, kneeled by their bedside, and the boy ended his prayer with, And God, help me get that brand new bicycle. Amen. And the dad was like, well, what is he doing? Son, why did you just scream at the end of your prayer about the bicycle? Oh, that's because grandma's sleeping in the room next door. <laughs> you know. Well, before we judge the little boy, have you ever as a husband said, Lord, help my wife to obey me better in her presence? Or maybe as the wife say, Lord, help my husband to be like Jesus, you know. And we could pray those prayers. Those are good prayers, but not at the time your husband's around or your wife's around, right? And Because uh, we're addressing our prayer to God and God, the holy God, and we're coming into, <clears throat> it's the greatest communication there is. I'm amazed at communication, aren't you? I'm in Brazil, and I have this cell phone, and, and, and we have a thing called WhatsApp. And I know you guys don't use it a lot here, but Latin America uses it a lot. I've got like, I don't know, 40 WhatsApp groups. I mean, it's just amazing, all the WhatsApp groups we have. But what's cool about WhatsApp is I can push uh, C on there, and right away you can see, I can see my grandchild here in, in Kansas, and I'm in my backyard in Brazil. 
and we're talking to each other. How does that work? I have no clue. I know you can explain it. Say, well, the waves, you know, da, da, da. I still don't understand how that works. It is amazing, isn't it? Isn't it incredible if you stop and think about it? But what is greater than that communication? Prayer. Prayer is the greatest communication device in the world. And how does it work? How can I, a sinner in the midst of a big fish in the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, get word to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, in his heavenly, in a new dimension, in a different dimension? How does it get there? It gets there through prayer. But watch this. It has to get there through gracious holiness. Without the holiness of Jesus Christ, your prayer would never make it to heaven. Really? How do you know that, Roger? Well, <clears throat> when you think of a book in the Old Testament that taught how to approach God, what book comes to your mind? Very good, the book of Leviticus. I knew you thought of that. And uh, usually when people are reading through the Bible, they say, man, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Genesis, that was awesome, man. That was great. Exodus, mm, man, it's, it's good, but towards the end, it got a little repetitious there, you know, all those you know, things being made for the ark and the, the covenant and the, the tabernacle. But then they get into Leviticus, right? And you say, well, there's, you do like the Cubs. There's always next year, right? There's always next year. And uh, <clears throat> Although the Cubs did win, didn't they, yeah, recently? That's kind of cool. Um, but the book of Leviticus is really an amazing book. I guarantee you, if you were a Levite, your favorite book of the Bible is Leviticus. Because why? Because two got killed for not paying attention to the details of how to approach a holy God. The book of Leviticus is about approaching. It's teaching you how to approach God in worship and in day-to-day. It's about a God who wants to be near you. It's about a God who cares about you and wants to, be, wants to listen to you. But he says, but there's a way to come to me, and it's through sacrifice. And yeah, these bloods of goats and all that, they're going to be sacrificing. But it's all pointing to the main sacrifice. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. And that's why Hebrews tells us what it does. Go to Hebrews. Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, we have confidence to what? Hebrews 10, 19. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Listen, if I were to enter the holy place by my standing, I would be killed. I'm a sinner. But I can go by the standing of Jesus. Because he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess listen how does prayer work Jesus the blood of Jesus allows us to have access to the most holy place. That is the presence of God. And that is how we can pray and communicate. And so that's interesting because in the first thing topic of the prayer, Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. And so we see adoration. Our God is approachable God. He is holy. But then look at the next topic. 
He says in verse 2, he go back to Luke 11, verse 2, he says, Your kingdom come. Now we could spend a, a, we could spend a year talking about this phrase, your kingdom come. It's not a, a phrase that we talk about as Christians uh, in this era. We more talk about can't wait to get to heaven. And that's good, because that's a good place to get to, isn't it? Can't wait till heaven comes. Can't wait to leave this earth and get to heaven. But a Jew with the Old Testament and all the prophecy talked about many things. Let's just talk about it real quick. Isaiah chapter 2, we talk about a new Jerusalem. And you say, well, isn't that a heavenly Jerusalem? No, it's not a heavenly Jerusalem. It's a new Jerusalem on earth. And you can look over 200 passages just in the book of Isaiah that talks about the kingdom. What kingdom? The kingdom of God that will be on earth with a capital in Jerusalem. So in other words, I see a topic here. The first topic was adoration. The second topic is anticipation. Thy kingdom come. The Jew is waiting for the Messiah to come, to step through the golden gate and declare, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, for the kingdom has come. Well, Jesus didn't do that, and he will do that. But we now in the church age, we live in anticipation, don't we? Don't we live in anticipation? Well, we do, because 1 Thessalonians, it talks about the rapture. And 2 Thessalonians, it talks about the rapture. You know what it talks about in every chapter? as it talks about our Christian life, his coming. It talks about his coming. We should be all about the anticipation of the coming of our Lord. We should be heavenly minded. We should be thinking of God and him ruling. And sometimes I have to admit, I get caught up in my kingdom. Okay, I got this house in Brazil. Oh, man, those lights don't look good. I want better lights. I don't have enough money for lights. Hey, countryside, can you send more money? Man, I need more lights. You know, and I get involved and I get worried about my kingdom sometimes, and I have to be reminded, and I should be reminded every time I what? That's right, pray. Every time I pray, thy kingdom come. My anticipation, my excitement, my priority, my goal, my purpose in life is all about God's kingdom, about God. And prayer is a great place to get that focus refocused isn't it okay i'm getting off focus here are the families getting off focused here and we're all getting worried about you know this and i went to a funeral one time and the family was fighting about who gets what and it was uh, like 11 children and all grown adults one a professional nba player and there and it was amazing and it's just as ugly as sin because it's a fight about stuff that's going to perish And we should be all about what's imperishable, about the things of the Lord. So prayer helps us with that, and we should have that in part of our prayer. Uh, I hope you're praying for Christ to come today. I pray that you are focused on his kingdom and not your own. He continues. He says, give us each day our daily bread. That tells me that of supplication, all right? So we have adoration, we have anticipation, now we have supplication we are to pray uh, for God to give us our daily bread. What does that mean? Well, in Israel, every day, some, some jobs, most jobs, got paid daily. You worked, 
You remember the parable? Jesus even talked about a parable about that. And you got paid at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, you took your money and you went to the padaria. What is the padaria? Bread store, right? You knew the Portuguese word, didn't you? You guys are fooling me. Well, in Brazil, it's interesting. In Brazil, Brazilians do that. Every day, Brazilians buy bread. Every day. They think it's strange that I buy a loaf and, and I have it all sliced up. And I, I just buy it once every two weeks. They're like, what's wrong with you Americans, man? It's every day when it's fresh. And I'm like, yeah, I just haven't learned that yet. But, uh, but they do that. Every day they get bread. And what it is is a reminder here. Jesus is reminding the Jews here and his disciples, give us each day our daily bread, that we are to pray daily for dependence on God for everything we need on earth. You know, it's sometimes, I have to admit, and I'm going to just be real open with you, it's hard to be a missionary. And it's hard to be a missionary in this way, not the culture and living in another culture and all that. that. I get that. I love that. I enjoy that. It's hard to be dependent on other people to be faithful to God to provide for my physical needs. As a man, I sometimes wish that I had a bestseller by the way, there's a book coming out that I wrote called <laughs> Evangelism, the Christian's Responsibility. Let's buy it. Let's have everybody buy it. And no, and no, and no but it is a good book. But, it's, uh, but I'm not going to get rich off of it. But, uh, but I have to admit, there's times I'm tempted. I wish I had a bestseller and I could say, uh, Countryside, don't need any more support. Give your support to someone else. Matter of fact, here's some money to support you guys. You know, and here's, I want to help you guys. But I know that it's the pride in me. And I know that every worker in the secular world has to be dependent on God just as much as I do. Isn't that true? If I start to think it's only the missionaries and pastors that depend like that, I'm wrong. It's every one of us. We had a Brazilian guy. He uh, was dirt poor, and he bought some shirts to sell, and he sold all of them in one day. He went back, took the money, and bought some more shirts, and he sold them. Oh, and he came back to the guy, and eventually, in a couple months, he said, I want to buy every shirt that you fabricate. And that guy went from rags to riches. He's a multimillionaire today in five years' time. And I asked my kids, I said, who did that? Was it Elumasu, who's real clever, you know, and he's sly, and he can do it all? I said, it was God. God allowed that to happen. And we have to be dependent on God and give us a, our, this day our daily bread is a great prayer to remind us that we are dependent on God for everything. And I'll tell you another thing. I'll be real honest with you. You know, because Countryside's been working with uh, the 403K and GB or whatever, I don't know, and the ISPS. And, and those are good things. We should prepare for the future. But God kind of rebuked me in Brazil and said, because I was kind of concerned, you know, well, man, if I die, what would my wife have? What my, you know, what, you know, how would she be taken care of? And God looked at me and just reminded me, Roger, do you remember my prophets? Some of them were sawed in two. Some died in the jails. Why do you think that you're going to retire and have money? You know, why, why, why do you think that? Just trust me. Just keep trusting me. Now, it doesn't mean I don't invest and be wise. But it just reminds me, it's just a good refresh reminder to me that my supplication is showing God that I depend on him daily, daily. Do you depend on God daily? It's a hard thing for us, isn't it? Because when I open your refrigerator, what do you got? You got a lot of food. 
I've gone to Brazilians' home, opened the refrigerator, and they've got nothing in their refrigerator. Nothing. Hard to think that in America. We're pretty prosperous. I was having a hard time figuring out what Cheerios I want. There's like 12, you know. We need to remember, hey, we may have a refrigerator full of food, and we may have stores that are incredibly packed with food, but we are still dependent on God daily. We need to pray continually. Yes, we are to give thanks, but we are to ask for our daily needs. It's interesting, the content of prayer found in Scripture. Sometimes the petition in Scripture, as you, as you study all those 60 contents of prayers that are all through the Bible, you'll see that sometimes the prayer is for safety, sometimes it's for health, sometimes it's for family, sometimes it's for physical deliverance, but we also see petitions for open doors to the gospel. We see salvation being prayed for. We see that, the, that love may abound in knowledge and insight, that the believer may be able to discern what is best and pure. And listen, listen here to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 Paul was just weird, wasn't he? He just was strange. No, Paul was mature. Paul was the example of maturity in prayer, and his content of prayer is recorded in various epistles. And I want you to notice this in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, how he prayed. Ephesians 1, 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly realms. Is that your prayer? Do you pray like that? God help the missionary to have his eyes of his heart opened to comprehend the impassable love and power that you've got for him. I mean, that's just, he prayed differently. And those are great prayers. And I'm not saying that we don't pray for the simple things like our daily bread, but I just want us to challenge us in our supplication to be more about, not so much about our physical needs, but also our spiritual needs as well. Okay? And so just remember that. So go back to Luke 11, we see that the, top, the topics are adoration, anticipation, and supplication. But we see now, he says in verse 4, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. So I see confession. So in our prayer, we should have confession. We should ask God to forgive us. I was witnessing to a guy, and the guy was shocked. He said, I have never thought of asking God to forgive me. I've never thought of that. And it's obviously the eyes, his heart, the Holy Spirit was opening his eyes of his heart to understand and comprehend the gospel. But we are to confess our sins to God daily. Every sin that we do is an offense to a holy God. We must learn to live in God's presence daily. And as we do that, if you live in God's presence daily, then you will ask God to forgive you daily. If you don't, you are not normal. I'm serious. You are either too prideful to see your sin. 
We are, we are going before a holy God, and you are a sinner, and you sin daily. Is that not true? In Brazil, when we go to look for leadership outside our church, when we do sometimes, we ask the wife of the future potential pastor, does your husband ever ask forgiveness? And if he doesn't, I am not, I'm not interested in him. Because he thinks he's Jesus and he's not. You know what I mean? He's too prideful to ask forgiveness from his wife. So one guy asked me, how many times do you ask your wife forgiveness? I say, every day practically, don't I, Crystal? Don't I mess up every day? Just about, huh? No. But I'll tell you what, when I got saved in 1978, the lady that led me to the Lord gave me this great discipleship. She said, listen, Roger, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven forever. So you are right with God. But your relationship with God is going to be interrupted, your fellowship, by your sin. And to get your right relationship back with God, you need to confess that, like 1 John 1, 9 says. Man, that was the best advice she ever gave because that next day I messed up. I, I think I hit my brother. I, you should have seen what he did to me, though. But, and I said, God, forgive me. That was wrong. And then the next day, I messed up again. I said, man, God, forgive me. And after a while, I realized, I started praying like this as a little boy. I remember this, clear as bell. God, I'm going to send tomorrow, too. So forgive me for tomorrow. <laughs> I just planned ahead, you know. But the truth is, is that we somehow, we get, uh, a guy wrote a book called uh, Respectable Sins, right? And, and we just, we allow the culture to just mandate how we ought to think and do. And we get cold to the holiness of God. And I think that confession in our prayer life is key to help us to remind us of God's holiness daily in our lives. So confession, we forgive and we forgive others. And, uh, and, and the reason we forgive others is because we have to be obedient because God forgives us. Well, the last one I see is in verse 4, the last topic is this. And lead us not into temptation. So we have adoration. We have anticipation, supplication, confession, and now we have protection. Protection. Lead us. We are to submit to God's leadership. But we have to recognize, okay, we just confessed our sin. We have to recognize that we have a tendency, we have a bent towards sin, don't we? Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7. We have, we have that disposition of sin within us. Even though we're saved, we still, because we haven't died yet and separated it from the sin nature, we still have that disposition of sin. And so we have a tendency, we have bents towards sin. And maybe you have a bent difference than someone else, right? Maybe if you smell alcohol, you have a desire to get drunk. I have no desire for that. That doesn't, doesn't phase me. But every one of us has bents towards sin. And what we ought to be asking our God is protection from sin. God does not tempt us. James chapter 1 tells us that, right? God cannot be tempted, and nor does he tempt us. So the phrase here, lead us not into temptation, is more of an idea of do not God help us to get into situations to where we will not sin. Kind of reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He always gives a way of escape, doesn't he? And we ought to be praying that we see that way to escape. Well, that was Jesus' 
giving instruction about prayer, we get to Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 13, and we see that Jesus gives illustrations about prayer. Look at verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. And I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread, because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So what I see here is Jesus illustrates that we ought to be persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer. We, uh, you know, the situation here culturally, uh, the houses were a little more different than our houses, and, and the sleeping quarters, everybody was a little closer. For that man to get up and open the door would have made noise and would have woken the whole family. It was just going to be a bother. And, but it also in the culture, it was a shame not to have bread to give to someone journeying to your home. And so the friend was persistent, like a shameless audacity, a little bit of humility, really. Please, 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 please. Later, we see a widow doing that in the parable in Luke 18. And the judge says, give her what she wants because she's being persistent. Well, this reminds me that we can pray from anywhere by the grace of Jesus you know, it's interesting. The ministry of prayer can never be taken from you by men. You can pray from a royal palace to a prison cell to an open sky filled with countless stars or to total darkness in the belly of a large fish. Nothing can keep you from the ministry of prayer. We can and ought to be persistent in prayer. Isn't that great? COVID hit and I'm not feeling good. I'm laying in bed. Guess what? You can do what? You can pray. You know, nobody can take prayer away from you. They can take maybe evangelism away from you. Maybe they can rip my tongue, my teeth out, and where I can't speak. Maybe they can, I don't know, they can do all kinds of things. But what they cannot take away, think about this. Man cannot take away from you is the ministry of prayer. Is it important? May we all say yes, but do we do it? Are we persistent? Jesus reminds and illustrates here that we ought to be persistent Humbly persistent in prayer. Verse 9, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. How, is that be? How can that be? Well, let's explain it here. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus illustrates confidence in prayer. Confidence. You know, there was a, a Brazilian. He, uh, he was praying for a young gal that just went to the hospital and the doctors could not figure out what she had. And he prayed in the name of Jesus that she would be delivered. And she was. The doctors couldn't explain it. Walked out of that hospital. Later, Lou, another 24-year-old young gal, was sick in the hospital, and this guy prayed, and Lou died. And he said, man, I don't understand it, Pastor. I prayed in the name of Jesus. Confidence that he can respond. So what was the problem? 
Well, let's turn, keep one finger here. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. 1 John 5, 14. And then we're going to come back to Luke 11. 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, He hears us. No. That if we ask anything according to what? His will. He hears us. Where in the Bible does it say that it's God's will for Aunt Bertha to be healed and get out of the hospital? It doesn't say that. See, you that are evil think that the best thing for Aunt Bertha is to get out of that hospital. But God, who is perfect, says it's a lot better to be with me. And that's what God, God is saying here. He's saying we need to have confidence in His goodness. Let me ask you a quick question. What is the best thing God gave you? What's the best thing God gave you? Some might say eternal life. Please don't say your husband. <laughs> don't say your wife. Those are wonderful things. Those are gifts. But Jesus just told us. He said in Luke 11, He said what it was. The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us eternal life. It's the Holy Spirit that makes a new man in us. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to live eternally. Our power of sanctification, if you didn't catch it, was by the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. The greatest gift that God has ever given you is the Holy Spirit. Does God know what is good? Man, there's times I think I, I, I doubt Him. I do. How can this be good? And then I'm rebuked by his all-powerfulness, all-sovereignty, and his eternal perspective. And he says, listen, Roger, just have confidence in me. Jesus illustrates confidence in prayer. Well, people who follow Jesus... Do what? Pray. And I just want to remind you and just and tell you, thank you for your prayers. Um, that is one of the best things we can hear as we come back on furlough is that we're praying for you. I know Dominique, is it Dominique? Dominic, Dominique, Dom, Dominic? Dominic. Okay. I just see the letters and I, um, sends me an email and says, hey, we're praying for you as a church. This Sunday, what can we pray for you? And I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. Because without God doing it, nothing is possible. So people who follow Jesus, pray. So let's pray. Eternal God, thank you so much for your word. And I, what a joy to go through the 60 different prayer contents given in Scripture. And seeing what different men and women have, by your grace, come into your presence asking for or just expressing. I'm reminded, Lord, of how you are interested in us and how you love every detail of our life. And you want to hear about it. And you want the praise that you so rightly deserve. Lord, help us to to pray.
Help us to work at prayer. Help us to not be ritualistic. Help us to be sincere. And may we be followers that pray. Amen.